Welcome to Brookfield Perspectives, a podcast from Brookfield that explores how the firm invests in the backbone of the global economy. I'm Lauren Steffi, and I've been writing about energy and investing for the better part of three decades. In this special episode of the show, we'll walk through the highlights from Brookfield's 2022 Sustainability Report, which you can find online at brookfield.com. You'll learn how the Brookfield ecosystem is driving toward transition and net zero goals globally. My guests for today are Kelly Goddard and Ben Brown, who are leaders in Brookfield's renewable power and real estate businesses. Kelly and Ben will share how partnering across these two sectors can create a ripple effect across clients, tenants, businesses, and operations, simultaneously creating sustainable solutions and meeting the market demand for net zero capabilities. We're going to start out by having each of you introduce yourself, tell a little bit about what you do. Kelly, we can start with you. Sure. Great to be here today, Lauren, with you and Ben. My name is Kelly Goddard. I'm the Chief Sustainability Officer and a Managing Director and our Renewable and Transition Group, which is focused on accelerating the net zero transition in a responsible way. I've been with Brookfield for about two years. And prior to joining Brookfield, I worked for a major European energy company. Great. Ben, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. Thanks, Lauren. Great to be a part of this. Ben Brown, a managing partner in our real estate group based in New York. I'm responsible for our U.S. office business. That totals about 70 million square feet, primarily located in the major urban markets across the country. I asked Kelly to tell us a bit about Brookfield Renewables Sustainability Strategy. Our ESG strategy really sits in two pillars. The first is accelerating the global net zero transition. We are using our capital and our capabilities to build new renewable energy, to scale up sustainable solutions, and to help transform carbon-intensive businesses. The second pillar is then about supporting a responsible transition, doing business responsibly for our people, the communities, and the environment in which we operate, and all of our stakeholders. We operate in almost 30 power markets in over 20 countries, and we have over 30 years experience investing and operating in clean energy and transition technologies. We started in hydropower and then moved into wind, solar, and battery storage, and are now building on this to invest in the next generation of decarbonization technologies and support governments, customers, and our partners meeting their decarbonization goals. You mentioned hydropower, and I always call hydropower the forgotten renewable. It's actually been around for a long time. Obviously, very essential, very critical to Brookfield's heritage in renewables. How does that fit into the portfolio, and how does that interplay with the more common renewables that we know, like wind and solar and things like that? Hydropower is core to what we do. We also believe it is a key technology to enable renewables to come onto the grid. And hydropower provides not only base load, but pump storage, which allows for intermittency of renewables to be solved for. So again, we see hydropower, and I think many of the external frameworks and pathways also support this as a key technology in the energy transition. You mentioned pump storage. Let me just have you define that because some people may not know what that is. Well, in traditional hydropower, we use nature, and in this case, water, to flow through and provide power. However, we can't always control the flow of the water. So what pump storage allows us to do is to harness that water store the energy that that water is produced when water levels are high. And then when water levels drop or when we need additional renewable, we're able to dispatch that onto the grid 
much like a battery would do. A battery would bring renewable power in, store that power, and then release that renewable energy to displace more carbon-intensive energy on the grid or when there's additional needs for power. Okay. And I got one more definition I got to ask you about. You said intermittency. Let's go ahead and explain that also. Well, with wind and solar, it's clear that the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. So while they are penetrating grids and the lowest cost of power in many parts of the world, baseload power such as nuclear and hydropower allow to provide this when that doesn't happen. Okay. So Ben, let's bring you in here. I think everybody understands how renewable energy fits into net zero goals, but let's talk about real estate. How does that factor into the equation? I think it's a keen focus on every component of investment, operating, and management decisions across the value chain in real estate. And all of the component parts, whether that's investor capital, bank capital, the whole capital markets environment around real estate is now focused on this. I think we're generally, as a manager and an investor, helping define what the blueprint looks like for our peer group as it relates to real estate. So how does your group work with other groups within Brookfield? How do these collaborations come together? It is organic and it's natural, but it's the competitive advantage of what we tend to think of as the Brookfield ecosystem. The good news as it relates to our business is we have folks like Kelly who will forget more about renewable power than I'll ever know. But just the benefit of walking across the hall to our partners and our colleagues within our renewable power business when we're trying to think about what is our strategy, how do we access both renewable power, but also a plan and a real strategy around the space is hugely beneficial. And that's really how it comes together. We know what our key strategy and goals are. And then we have colleagues that are obviously very close to the detail and all of the learnings that we can implement into our plan. So I would say it's very much organic with all of our businesses having similar transition goals over time. I remember when I joined Brookfield, someone told me, if you have a problem, someone across Brookfield has a solution. And I found that absolutely to be true. We work closely together, both formally through things like our net zero committee, but also informally, as been mentioned, we are co-located. So I sit just down from real estate and just across from infrastructure. And that allows for us to work together to solve challenges, but also capture opportunities as they come up in real time. Interesting. I think this is sometimes referred to internally as the Brookfield ecosystem. This is kind of a jump ball, but talk a little bit about how that works, how these kinds of synergies build on each other and help with the overall achievement of the ESG and net zero goals. So I'll start there. If you think about our business generally, we're investing in the backbone of the economy. And so the natural synergies and cross sections and inflection points across all of our businesses are happening daily. And we have a culture where information sharing and collaboration is promoted. So these things happen naturally. To Kelly's point, someone in a business will seek an answer. And the first place you go looking is to someone with a Brookfield business card that may sit in your business or another business. So it happens in an organic way, but in a way that the philosophies and the goals are already aligned. So it happens efficiently and it happens pretty productively. Kelly, talk a little bit about the companies that you work with and what they're looking for when it comes to renewable power, what Brookfield can do to meet those needs that perhaps others can't. Sure. Well, we see companies 
in governments increasingly setting and updating their net zero targets. So to date, over 8,000 businesses, for example, have set net zero targets. They're all putting together plans to help meet those targets. And we see a key role in us in supporting those. We are one of the world's largest providers of renewable-based power purchase agreements or PPAs. And we have over 900 customers that we have PPAs with. We have 25,000 megawatts of installed renewable capacity today. That equates to taking over 7 million cars off the road. So quite a substantial amount of renewable power. And we have a development pipeline of over 110,000 megawatts, the second largest development pipeline globally. And we contract directly with companies to sell this renewable power. And that helps them reduce their scope to emissions. It is the first step many companies will take in their decarbonization journeys. And building on those established partnerships, we are then able to have broader conversations on how we support reducing emissions in other parts of their business. I'll just use an example of one of our key partnerships, and that's with Amazon. Amazon is the world's largest buyer of renewable power for their data centers. And Brookfield is one of the largest renewable suppliers for Amazon. And we partner with them on three continents. Multinationals like Amazon need renewable power in multiple grids in multiple countries. And we see that as an obvious opportunity for us, both from a value perspective and also in supporting decarbonization. And Brookfield itself is a multinational, much like Amazon. So it makes total sense that we would combine our efforts across Brookfield Renewables and properties, one with supply and one with demand, to create powerful synergies of value for both sides as we support Brookfield in reaching our overall goals as well. Ben, talk a little bit about what you're hearing from tenants. How much is this front of mind for tenants and how much are they driving the sort of ESG interest? Across many of our real estate sectors, We have the largest multinational corporations that are our customers in our assets, whether that's in our logistics business, in our office business, in our data center business, which sits in our infrastructure business. A lot of the same logos, a lot of the same management teams, a lot of the same initiatives from these customers are really what is now being directed and demanded from us as their landlord partner. The demand from this is definitely leading from the tenancy side of things because those corporations clearly have their own goals and the ability for us to provide buildings that score well from a net zero perspective obviously gives them a knock-on benefit and leverage to their own goals. So I would start there and say, that's definitely on the front end of it. What we've started to see more increasingly, similar to Brookfield Asset Management's overall net zero goals, is our investor base is looking at the same sort of targets over time. So we're seeing that more increasingly around both our investor partners, but just generally in the investor universe, both buying, selling, and financing assets, the grading of how assets perform from a ESG and net zero perspective is starting to rise to the top of the priority lists. The one thing that I would caveat there is I think from a real estate perspective, there's an education process going on and how things are graded and what that report card looks like is being formulated now. And we're seeing that start to materialize in tenant demand, in conversion on leasing, because it is rising to the top of the priority list. It's not just your traditional decision points now on space and location and physical attributes, but this is starting to be a key component of the decision-making process really across most of our sectors in the real estate business. 
Can you walk us through an example of perhaps a building or a tenant where they said, this is what we want, and then you guys worked with them to make it happen? The best example is probably where we've started, which is our project at Manhattan West on the west side of New York, which I know we've profiled in a previous episode of the podcasts. That's a 8 million square foot mixed use project with two 2 million square foot each new development towers. The first tower, One Manhattan West, was the project that we profiled where we've got that tower now 100% powered by in-state hydro with our partnership with Brookfield Renewables. We've replicated that at Two Manhattan West, which is the building that we'll be delivering completion of construction later this year. And during the lease up of that, we've got a couple large anchor tenants where the specific decision to go to us versus other relatively similar competitors was specifically that we were powered by renewable energy. When that light bulb went off, probably 12 months ago, when we began to roll this out at One Manhattan West, we realized that that was the future and that's where we're heading. And that is what has informed our aggressive approach to roll this out to the balance of our U.S. market over the next couple of years. Kelly explained how Brookfield actually powers a development of that size with renewables. For example, when a customer comes to us in a certain market, we have teams on the ground that have experience in both power markets and renewable development. So starting from the very beginning, we work with our customers to understand what their goals are, what their own requirements are for renewable power, and really work together to find a solution that meets those goals. And that could be for the near term, or it could be for the longer term, or both. So we are quite flexible in how we structure our our partnerships and really with a focus on understanding and then executing on projects to support those goals. So let's shift gears a little bit here. We haven't talked about redevelopment and what role that plays in net zero. That's something that gets overlooked in a lot of these discussions. I'll start there, Lauren. So it's an interesting one because it's actually probably where we really started probably five or six years ago, thinking about this specifically as we were going through a couple large-scale redevelopment projects. And so the example I'll use, and I'll touch on a couple that we've done more recently, was again, at our Manhattan West project, we keep coming back to that one, but we acquired a one and a half million square foot existing asset, which was on the site. Originally constructed in the 1960s, we spent a meaningful amount of capital renovating the entirety of that building through 2015 to 2016. And obviously, at that point in time, we were thinking about the improved operational efficiency. And so that implicit reduction in carbon through the new systems and bringing that to a modern standard. But what we realized as we went through that project was the embodied carbon that was reduced from renovating that asset as opposed to demolishing that asset and building new, something to the tune of 28,000 metric tons of carbon, which would have been equivalent to about five years of carbon emissions from the energy usage of that building. That was eye-opening to us. I'd make a general comment that in the U.S., We are far behind many other places globally in terms of the regulatory framework, which would incentivize either redevelopment or prevent new development. In the U.S., if you looked at the publicly listed office REITs, the carbon intensity of those portfolios is almost three times what their peers would be in the UK. And a lot of that has to do with the regulatory framework and what they've been working on over the past years in terms of 
embedded carbon redevelopment and net zero perspective. And so in the US, we're just getting there and the focus is there, but it's both on, as we talked about, things like 100% renewable powered buildings like one Manhattan West, but also on redevelopments as opposed to new developments and how those are being viewed differently. And I would say in a positive nature because of the reduction of the carbon emissions that would otherwise be quantified if you were to do ground up greenfield development. Redevelopment isn't just about updating older buildings to run more efficiently. Brookfield also redevelops existing renewable power installations. It's just an interesting concept, not something people think about. You could just talk a little bit about the concept and how you guys approach it. Sure. Well, we are focused on adding new capacity of renewables to the grid. We are also looking for opportunity to increase the capacity at our existing wind and solar sites, something we call repowering. Repowering is when you replace the equipment with more efficient equipment in order to produce more efficient renewable capacity. An example for us is we just completed one of our largest repowerings in the U.S. at a site called Shepherd's Flat, which we repowered many of our existing wind turbines, and we replaced the turbines with more efficient materials. And that allowed us to increase the productivity of the site by 25% and extend the asset's life. So again, not only are we extending the asset's life, but we're not using new materials to replace all of the existing equipment there. So in that, we are reducing our footprint and reducing our overall emissions from the construction and manufacturing processes. Talk a little bit about the next big challenges that you see in your sector and how that's going to play out. The interesting thing we found through what we've done to date is the implementation of a strategy and the implementation of achieving the net zero goals are actually practically easier than we thought when we set out to do this. I think the challenge that we will face going forward is how do people quantify this? How do people value this? And what is the value proposition? And what is the priority? And I think because we're doing this at a time where it's one of those things that, as I said, it's on the top of everyone's list. Everyone asks for it. But for the most part, if I was to generalize, I don't think there's a true understanding of what it all means. There's a lot of fancy words thrown around. And again, like I said, we've got the benefit of being educated by our colleagues. That's a fantastic competitive advantage. A lot of our peers are just learning and they will all get there. And I think as an industry and as a sector, the challenge will be, how do we quantify these things? How are they graded? How is there a system that everyone understands what the goals are and what the milestones look like? So there is some level setting, but there's also some practical proof in the pudding where when people are putting strategies together, it's impactful and it's making a difference as opposed to being more form over function. Kelly, what are some of the opportunities you see coming down the pike? For us, it's really about capturing the opportunities, given the demand and the need for companies that have the expertise and the capital to support accelerating the energy transition. For example, we've raised $15 billion in our first Brookfield Global Transition Fund. That fund is focused on adding additional renewable capacity, scaling up sustainable solutions, and partnering to transform carbon-intensive businesses. Not only have we raised that amount of capital, the largest impact fund raised to date, but we've also deployed or committed the vast majority of that. In fact, we're already starting fundraising for our second fund in that space. So again, it's really about using our capital and our expertise 
to find those opportunities and then to execute on them. I asked Kelly how Brookfield thinks about investing in an energy mix to meet the existing and future demands for renewable power. We do think it's important to continue investing across the spectrum. This includes investing in the renewable technologies, including wind and solar, battery storage. It also includes investing in wider sustainable solutions. So things like carbon capture is a key technology needed to meet net zero and support carbon intensive industries and sectors. So we've made three investments in carbon capture usage and storage. And we will continue to look at that sector. We're also making investments in renewable natural gas and then other sustainable solutions. And while we see both renewable and sustainable solutions very important, it's also needed to actually reduce the emissions that are currently in the atmosphere today. So we are focused on working and partnering with carbon intensive industries, not only in providing them renewable power and potentially other sustainable solutions, but really in decarbonizing directly their emissions. For example, we've just made an investment in Origin, which is Australia's largest generation and retail business. And we'll work with that business to replace their thermal power, which is one of Australia's largest coal facilities to date, with renewables. So it's understanding what the renewable mix is there, understanding the need for storage as well as renewables, and then using our expertise to build that renewable, stabilize the grid, and that will enable those emissions to come down. Ben explained what demand for renewably powered buildings looks like around the U.S. and how that's impacting Brookfield's strategy. There's two things that move markets, right? It's a regulatory or policy-driven or it's capital driven. And I think the front end of this, at least for the US, is there's a bit of regulatory momentum around certain cities and certain targets that they have for the real estate sector generally, but it happens to be much more intensive right now from the capital. And I think that's where we're seeing the momentum being driven and the expectation. And it's no longer an option and it's a requirement and it's going to be demanded across the board. And frankly, the asset owners, the asset managers, the investors who figure this out and are most aligned with their capital partners on this strategy and can have an impactful framework, I think are going to be the winners long-term. All right. So I'm going to ask each of you just kind of weigh in on what you found most surprising as you've worked through the whole ESG net zero initiatives. What came up that you didn't expect or that you didn't think you'd find? The first question is, what is it going to cost? What is it going to cost us as a owner of assets? What is it going to cost our customers as tenants of our assets? And probably the biggest surprise was On an aggregate basis, it's really immaterial in terms of the overall cost structure. So I'll give you an example. Again, we'll come back to One Manhattan West. It's our live example, a 2 million square foot tower. Again, rent roll and tenant roster there, big, sophisticated, multinational corporates with very similar goals as ours. When we looked at this and we put this plan in place, it was about 1% to 2% increase in terms of the overall cost structure for that building to have it powered by 100% renewable. So when we approached our tenant base, who already had leases and already had legal documents saying what we could and could not pass on to them as expenses, and we said, we're going to implement this plan, this is going to be the incremental cost, there wasn't even a hesitation. It was such a no-brainer because I think the expectation to the uninformed is, wow, that must be a lot more expensive. And 
potentially cost prohibitive. And I think what we found is, in fact, it's not. And it's not even close to the point of inflection where someone hesitates on that decision point. So I think the implementation, the adoption of this, and now obviously it's supply and demand. So the cost structure changes by market and over time. But in the grand scheme of the total cost profile, it's very small relative to what expectations probably were before we were fully informed. Kelly, what was the biggest surprise you encountered or thing you least expected? I would say the pace. I remember back in 2020 when companies just started setting net zero targets. So to see that grow to over 8,000 companies now with net zero targets, never mind the cost of renewables coming down significantly, the amount of investment that's going into renewables, the amount of investment in solar will surpass that of oil and gas, which is truly remarkable. And that'll be in 2023. Again, Significant growth is still needed to meet our goals, but it's amazing to see the pace supported by things like the Inflation Reduction Act. Again, that came in quite quickly, and we're already seeing the benefits of that and the incentives associated with building out renewables as well as wider decarbonization solutions. So I would say the pace and the acceptance of the need to get into action has been really welcomed and exciting. Before wrapping up the discussion, I wanted to know what Ben and Kelly are most excited about in both the short-term and long-term view for their businesses. I think the thing that we're most excited about is our announcement that we will be transitioning to clean energy by 2026 across our entire U.S. core office portfolio. It's about 70 million square feet concentrated really in six different markets across the country. And maybe the more important point, which we're very proud of, is we'll have about two-thirds of that rollout accomplished by next year. So it's a huge undertaking. I think we'll be a leader in the space, and it will continue to set us apart as a best-in-class operator, manager, and investor of real estate assets. One of the things that we're really excited about is the Origin deal, which I mentioned, which is expected to close by the end of this year. Through our investment and through our business plan, we plan to accelerate renewable development in Australia. And that includes investing up to 14 gigawatts of new renewable energy and storage. And this will enable us to take off one of Australia's largest coal facilities and reduce the emissions in the business by up to 70%. So we're very excited about that. We think there's a huge business value in doing that. Origin has over 4 million customers. So enabling the customers to also diversify their products to meet their net zero goals, but also to reduce emissions and add renewable energy capacity to the grid. This also helps Australia meet their 2030 target and has the potential to contribute up to 8% to meeting their net zero 2030 interim target. We've also launched our Brookfield Global Transition Fund too. So we're very excited about raising capital there and deploying that capital into a range of transition investments to further drive both value and impact. That's all for this special episode of Brookfield Perspectives. Thanks to Kelly and Ben for sharing their insights. You can learn more and read the entire ESG report in detail on the Brookfield website. Thank you.